You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. If you are able to remain standing, turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 13. One of the reasons why we go through the Bible the way we do, um, go through books of the Bible at a time is is so that we don't miss moments like these. Uh, Jesus has some very penetrating things to say to his church. Um, He only means good, but that doesn't mean it's always easy to hear. He always means good. But that doesn't mean it's easy. This is one of those parables that is penetrating and uncomfortable. But in the end, it is good for the soul. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 9. And then we're going to go to the parable explained in verses 18 through 23. That same day, Matthew 13, 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Family, this is God's word. Please be seated. As we have just read, we are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and we come to what has been called the Sermon of Parables. The Sermon of Parables. The Sermon of Parables in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel is the third of five major teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And with each of these blocks of teachings, there is both an increased clarity in Jesus' articulation of the gospel and with that increased animosity toward Jesus from his critics. With every block of teaching, there is increased clarity as to the message he's preaching and there is increased animosity from his critics. In fact, immediately after the sermon of parables, we'll witness the rejection of Christ even from those in his hometown of Nazareth. And what's interesting about the parables of Christ is we introduced it last week and we are now into it this week. What's interesting about the parables and our parable this morning in particular, what's interesting is that the realities being highlighted in the parable are actually being manifested in real time. In other words, while Jesus is teaching the parable of the soils, and while we are going over this parable today in this moment, these soils or conditions of the heart are being exposed in real time. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, it's true of the parables and it's true of all of God's word. As we are reading God's word, God's word is reading us. It is a kind of diagnostic. It opens us up and it reveals things about us. That's what makes these things hard at times. As we discovered last week, the parables serve to reveal truth to some and the parables remarkably serve to conceal truth as a form of judgment to others. Namely, those who do not want to listen to Jesus. The parables serve to conceal the truth of the kingdom. But for those who want to have room in their hearts to hear Christ, well, the parables are an illumination. They reveal truths about Christ. And so Jesus says, when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. That's a refrain, a constant refrain from, from Jesus. That just means pay attention. Listen with every faculty of your mind and body and soul. Pay attention to these words. This parable is an an invitation to examine your heart as you listen to the story, as you listen to the teaching. Ask God for help as you listen to the words of Christ because these words in real time will reveal the condition of your soul. And the condition of your soul is a matter of life and death. There is nothing in this moment more important than the condition of your soul. After all, what does it profit you and me to gain the whole world but to forfeit our soul? So he who has ears, let them hear. Two main points uh, this morning and then some, some application. Two main points, if you're a note taker. First, the place and the parable. That's point one. The place and the parable, point two, the parable explained. First, the place and the parable. Look at verses one and two again. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Well, the first thing we notice in this new chapter is the place. Unlike the Sermon on the Mount, this will be a sermon by the sea. It'll be a sermon by the sea. Jesus is in the northern part of Israel at the Sea of Galilee. 
And he went out of the house and sat by the sea. I think this is important because as I've mentioned in the beginning, there is increased animosity toward Jesus as his teaching ministry continues. And so Jesus is quite literally being pushed out. He's being pushed out of the synagogues. He's being pushed out of the places of high honor. And now he comes to the sea and he sits by the sea. But his popularity is overwhelming at this point. Now, crowds, multiple crowds, are not being coerced to follow him. They want to follow him, and they want to hear more from him. And so in order for him to address them all, he gets into a boat, and he rows just a little bit from the shore. And he sits down and begins to teach them. With a boat as his pulpit, Jesus is sitting in nature. Get the scene. He's sitting in nature. And he uses nature's theology to teach them about the gospel of the kingdom. There is nothing more accessible than this. He sits in nature and he uses nature's theology to teach them about the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to read it one more time. Here's the parable, verses 3 through 9. It's very simple. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, verse 7, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, notice with me how Jesus' parable here and his parables in general are accessible to all. Jesus doesn't use sort of lofty Ivy League language. This is not some sort of obscure TED talk that Jesus is going to give in the first century. No, it's easily accessible in an an agrarian culture so that all who are within an earshot of his voice can understand what he is saying. And again, the parable is quite simple. There is one sower. Two things don't change in this parable, the sower and the seed. They remain the same. There is one sower and there is lots of seed and those remain the same, but there are four distinct types of soil that these seeds find themselves and those are different. Those change, each of them producing a different result. The first soil can hardly be considered soil at all, although technically it is. This is seed that seems to have fallen out of the sower's bag and fell onto the hardened pedestrian road, which has been stomped down and and compacted for who knows how long. Now on this soil, the seed cannot germinate. It cannot germinate and grow. The surface is impenetrable. It's too hard. And so the birds of the air see the seed resting on top of the hardened path and they swoop down and Jesus uses the word snatched or devoured. That's the first soil. Impenetrable, hardened heart, no germination, no growth at all. The second soil is in better shape than the first. At least there's germination, there's The beginnings of growth, 
There's room for the seed to germinate, but not much. This soil has a layer of limestone. This is common in, in Palestine. There's limestone, a layer of it, oftentimes underneath that first layer of soil. But there's limestone underneath the surface so that when the heat of the sun comes and begins to beat down on this little plant, the roots are too shallow to draw moisture and life. And because of the heat, the plant withers, the roots wither, and they're scorched by the heat. That's the second soil. The third kind of soil is better still. It has more depth and can begin to sustain life. Life is beginning to happen in the plant. However, lurking underneath the surface of the soil is not hardened stone but thorns which slowly grow around the good root and choke it to death. This, unlike the first two soils, is a slow death. It's not so obvious. It's slow. It creeps around the good root, but eventually it has its way and it chokes it to death. Well, finally, the fourth kind of soil, Jesus says, is good soil. That's what he says. He he calls it good. It's good soil, which produces a massive harvest. I don't know anything. I grew up in the desert. I don't know anything about planting. I don't really care to know anything about planting. It's beautiful, and I, I admire people that do. But apparently, in, 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 in the first century, five to eight fold. So five to eight times the amount of seed that is sown in terms of a harvest would be a great harvest, five to eightfold. But here, Jesus says, this soil yields a harvest of 30, starting at 30, 60 to 100-fold. So what Jesus is saying to his first century audience is that this is, this is an unbelievable, an unimaginable harvest that comes out of this good soil. And then that's it. That's the parable. A sower, some seed, and four kinds of soil. After hearing the parable, one might conclude, well, this is a parable about external challenges in life. This is about the external challenges of life. Birds of the air plucking up good seed, the sun in the sky bearing down on the plant, the thorns that, that in life that threaten vitality. And of course, this interpretation would be partly true. This parable does shed light on external challenges in life. That is true. However, what we are about to find out as Jesus gives us the interpretation is that this parable is less about the external challenges in life and more about the internal condition of one's heart as they hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's hear now Jesus himself explain the parable. This is point two in the sermon First, let's look at the seed that fell along the path. This is verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay. Now we have some clarity as to what's going on. It's clearing up. The parable is making more sense. The seed that is being sown in the parable is the word of the kingdom or the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. That is the good news, the announcement that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel has come to pay for our sins, to die a substitutionary death, to be raised to new life, to save sinners. This is the announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the seed being sown. The sower has to be, in my view, Jesus Christ as the main sower, the main articulator of his own gospel. And he casts out this seed, the word of the gospel. Before we move forward, what's particularly alarming, a bit scary, to be honest with you, about this parable is that each of these soils or conditions of the heart each of these have heard or are hearers of the gospel, right? So this is not talking about an unreached people group who have never heard the gospel. This is talking about people like you and me who are hearing the gospel. These are people like you and me who have been in and around the teachings of Christ, some of us our whole lives, who have been in church and have heard preachers and pastors preach the gospel. These are people that are, that are in community with Christians, that's what's particularly alarming about these four, three soils is that you can be in and around Christ in the gospel and be one of these three. May even identify as Christians and yet the seed of the gospel has never produced fruit. And in the case of the first example, the first soil, the seed never germinates, as I said. The gospel just, just bounces just bounces off the surface of the heart. The heart is too full to be filled, too fattened with the cares of this world. And it never penetrates. It just rests on the surface of the heart. And, and, and what happens next? Jesus says the evil one, like a swooping bird, comes and snatches that gospel seed right off of the surface of one's heart. I mean, what a picture. What a sobering picture picture. And this is the seed that falls upon the hardened path, the hardened heart. It doesn't penetrate. It can't penetrate. This is the first condition of the heart. The second condition of the heart comes in verse 20 and following. Jesus says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word so again, they're in and around the preaching of Christ. They hear it. Jesus Christ for sinners, yes. And immediately receive it with joy. Yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself or herself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Unlike those in which the gospel seed never germinates, this listener hears the good word and responds with joy. I read somewhere that George Whitfield, um, 19th century preacher, this is before amplification, he would have tens of thousands of people come to hear him preach, an incredible order. 
And he would preach and he would often, there would be people weeping and crying. You would hear it as he's preaching. People, there was a great move of the spirit in the second great awakening. And people would be weeping as a result of this gospel being, being preached. They'd be weeping over their own sins. Thousands of people would respond to the gospel in and, and one evening at one large gathering, in one very successful gathering as, as they say. Someone came up to Whitfield and they said, how many people were saved at your gathering this evening. And he looked at him and said, I have no idea, but I suppose we'll know in two or three years. I have no idea how many were saved this night, but I suppose we'll know in two or three years. What is he saying? Many will come to Christ in the moment with exuberant joy. Yes and amen, it sounds good. They really like the message. They love the sermons. The singing is appealing. The general atmosphere of the church is pleasing. The donuts are helpful. However, when trouble comes, this is the point, right? This is the the rising of the blazing sun. When troubles come, when the heat of life beats down, some of you are in that right now. When the heat of life beats down, those shallow and mere sentimental roots wither away. Suddenly, all of the trappings of Christianity are not appealing. This thing is too hard. Why? Jesus says, because they have no root in themselves. For these people, for this condition of the heart, listen, The moments of life rule them, not Jesus. The moments of life rule them, not Jesus. Matthew Henry, along these lines in his commentary, says this, quote, These people may be pleased with the gospel, but they are not changed or ruled by it. By the way, this gets, this idea of roots gets at the very heart of the name of this church. We do not want to be a church that is about mere atmosphere. And don't get me wrong, atmosphere is helpful. It is important. It's okay to have donuts. It's okay to have pleasing music. That's okay. Atmosphere is okay. But mere atmosphere is not enough for the heat of life. It's just not enough. Life is so hard that we need deep roots to weather the storm. We need deep roots, not mere atmosphere. We don't need more ambiance. We need more foundation. We don't need mere personality in the American church. We need perseverance in the American church. There is an epidemic of of lack of perseverance. And we have in some cases, sold our soul for a bowl of soup, for a personality, when we need roots. We need a foundation. And this is the verse that the name of our church comes from, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 7. Thus says the Lord, listen to the prophet, the Lord through the prophet, Jeremiah. And by the way, do a case study on the prophet Jeremiah. This guy was ground to a pulp. He he was told at the very beginning of his ministry that he would not succeed. 
that the people would reject him over and over and over again. Imagine, Jeremiah, you're my prophet and nobody's gonna like you and no one's gonna listen to you and you're gonna die trying. Thus says the Lord through the prophet, cursed is the man who trusts in man. You wanna have shallow roots, trust in man. You want to have shallow roots? Trust in yourself. Follow your heart. That's how you have shallow roots. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Here's the contrast, verse seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. This is not theor theoretical. This is every day pulling it down into life. Oh, I'm trusting in you, Lord. I need you. I trust in you. As you do that, beloved, your roots grow. They go and find water. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. This is what Jesus is getting at in his parable. When heat comes, when the tribulations of life come, when you lose that loved one, when the cancer diagnosis comes, when fear and anxiety comes out of nowhere, when you're out of control, when heat comes, where do you go? It does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Why? Because the tree is impressive? No, because the roots are planted. They're planted by the, by the rivers of living water. They're drawing nutrients. They're drawing nutrients. And no matter what happens on the surface, they can remain strong. That's the second condition of the heart. The third condition of the heart comes in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. Again, my goodness, they're hearing it. It's coming in. Here's the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the thorns. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. If there is a condition of the soul that plagues the American church the most, I suspect it's this one. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We don't have nationwide structural persecution. I know we're coming up on a political season and, and, and we're made to believe that Christians are being persecuted. And maybe there is persecution, for sure, in some level. Social persecution, for sure. But nothing like what's going on in China. Nothing like what's going on in Iran. 
right? In Iran right now, they, churches are renting buses. This is a true story. They rent buses on Lord's Day. They go into the buses on a hot day. They roll up the windows and they do church while the buses are rolling. And they sing while the bus is enrolling and they stop singing at stoplights and they continue singing because why? They're being persecuted. That's persecution. That's not what's going on in America. People are falling away from the faith in America because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Like a python, slowly wrapping itself around its prey. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, wrap themselves around the word of Christ that is lodged into the heart of a professing Christian, wrapping it around until over time, slowly choking the life out of it. And that's the imagery of these thorns slowly growing. It's not like the first one that just gets picked up on the surface of the heart. It's not like the second that doesn't have any room to grow. This one grows for a while until over time, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches win the day. One of the saddest verses in the Bible comes in 2 Timothy. This won't be on the screen. Paul writes a letter to Timothy, a young pastor that he had been discipling for years. And he says to him, do your best to come to me. Because Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's amazing. Demas shows up in other letters from Paul as a companion, as a laborer in the gospel, as a friend, as someone he could trust, as someone he relied on. And yet, here we learn this one little sentence Timothy, do your best to come to me. For Demas, in love with this present world, the cares of the world, has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. The question is, what was in Thessalonica that was more precious than Christ? What was it that captured Demas' heart and mind that he deserts the Apostle Paul, deserts the ministry of the gospel, and goes to Thessalonica? What was it for him? We know what it was for Judas. 30 pieces of silver. The deceitfulness of riches. We know he was deceived because he's disgusted and he throws the silver back and he doesn't want it, but he was deceived for 30 pieces of silver. That's how much it costs to betray his Lord. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I, I read, and this was uh, O'Donnell's commentary. I just read it yesterday. A shocking statistic. That the average Christian household in America, the average evangelical Christian household in America 
America, the richest country on the face of the planet. gives away only 2.5% of their income. And that's those who give. 20% of professing evangelicals don't give anything at all. And this stat came out in 2019, when, we're, we're like when everything was supposed to be good. 2.5% on average. That means 98 97.5% of our income as American Christians doesn't leave our doorstep. That's embarrassing on the world stage. I don't bring that up to condemn you. I don't bring that up because I think we're low on funds. We're fine. I bring that up because this third soil is the one that is the most indicting on the soul of the church in America. We love our stuff. It, we don't just like it. We love it. And then we have the audacity to complain about big government spending for programs for those who need help when we're only given 2%. Now, hold your emails. I'm not for big government spending. I know there's a big debt crisis. I'm, I'm not for that. But how dare we as the church say, oh, big government, and then we hold 98% of our money. That is an indictment. I'm busted. If there's a condition of the soul that plagues the American church the most, it's this one. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We are going to wake up on the other side. We're going to, soon, all of us here are going to wake up on the other side Well, the final condition of the heart comes in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, Christ says, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. When Jesus says that good soil comes from hearing the word and understanding it, what he is not saying is that the good soil is all about mere intelligence. You just got to understand it. You just got to figure it out. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that fruitful Christianity is only for smart people. I, for one, am very grateful that that's not what he's saying. No, he just got done, you remember weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, rebuking rabbinic scribes who are very well educated. He just got done rebuking Pharisees who are part of the Sanhedrin, again, very well educated. So Jesus is not saying when he talks about understanding the word, he's not talking about mere intelligence. Instead, what Jesus is saying is this is, this is the one who hears and understands it. He's saying this is one who stands under the gospel. And I get this from Frederick Bruner in his commentary. Listen, to understand is to stand under. 
I don't know if you've ever thought of that. To understand something is to stand under that thing. It's a posture of the heart. It's a posture of the soul. It's one of receiving. To understand is to stand under. To, over, to stand over the gospel is to be like one of the three soils, the first three soils. To stand over it is to be hardened and shallow and greedy. But to stand under the gospel is to be tilled by its gracious warnings that we are hearing this morning. To stand under the gospel is to be tilled by its warnings, to be deepened by its rich theology, and to be smitten by the beauty of Christ. To understand is to stand under. Beloved, as I said earlier, this parable is an invitation to examine our own hearts, and it takes courage to actually do that. And we're wise to do it. But let me say this as we close, some points of application. Your assessment of your own heart is not sufficient. Your assessment of your own heart is not sufficient. Jesus preached this parable to a community and he meant for them to process it within a community. Here's why your self-assessment is not enough. Some of you might just be, just take a quick look within and go, I'm good, I'm good. Not one, not two, not, not three, I'm four, I'm good. But the reality is you may not be good. You may, you may have just hardened your conscience to a lot of things and you can't see. And so you need to have the courage to say to somebody that loves Jesus and loves you, how am I doing? How about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches? How am I doing? Others of you might be on the other spectrum where you have a really sensitive conscience and the thought of looking from within is paralyzing. Because every time you do, all you see are thorns and all you ever see are stones. All you can see is deceit and the cares of the world. And for you, you need somebody that loves you and says, no, 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 no. That's not all I see. That's not all I see. Yeah, praise God for these bringing conviction in these ways, but I'm seeing fruit in your life. I'm seeing growth in your life. Yeah, maybe we're not, you know, whatever, George Whitfield or Billy Graham or whatever, we're, but we're, I see growth in your life. I see maturity in your life. I hear you when you pray. On this point, Matthew Henry in his commentary on this is just so insightful. He says this, quote, listen, Jesus does not say that the fourth good soil has no stones in it. He doesn't say that the fourth good soil has no thorns. No, he says that there are none, there was no thorns or stones that prevailed to hinder the fruitfulness. He goes on, stones or thorns may be found in the good soil of a true believer's heart, but such obstructions do not finally prevent him from bearing fruit. Why? Because, listen, it is not the purity of your heart that saves you. It is not the purity of the soil of your heart that saves you, but it's the strength of the one that you are standing under that saves you.
Remember what Paul says to the Roman church. It is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. That's what it means to stand under the gospel, to be supported by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're not going to find thorns and stones in your heart. It just means that you are postured, you are dependent upon Christ. If we look hard enough, every one of us will find stones and thorns in the soil of our hearts. The question is, have those stones and thorns prevailed to hinder fruitfulness? And by design, we are not equipped to make that assessment alone. Which is why community is not optional. (laughs) There's just no such thing as a you and Jesus Christian. This just doesn't exist in the Bible. It's you, Jesus, and a community. Not only in the New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament. He always saves us to a people. Why? Because there are some seasons in life when I need someone to say, hey, 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 I see something in your life. I think you've hardened to this. I love you. And we need somebody in our lives to say, don't be so hard on yourself. I think you're overcome. I think you're looking too much. It was Robert Murray McShane that said, for every one look you take at your heart, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every one look you take at your own heart, take 10 looks at Jesus. Why? Murray McShane had a sensitive conscience. All he saw was thorns. He wanted to quit every time he preached. He was like, I'm done. For every time you look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. The question is, are we, here's the question as we close, are we standing under the gospel of the kingdom or are we standing over it? That's the question. So may God, may God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, this is a spiritual exercise. May God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, grant us courage to look at the soil of our hearts. And may God grant us true friends in the faith to challenge and encourage us along the way. Amen? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the words of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you allow them to take deep root in our hearts? Would you grant us the courage, Lord, to invite others to look into our hearts? Would you give us courage to take account of our lives? And would you keep us from pride? Would you keep us from despair? Would you give us good friends that are safe, and humble and clear that love you to walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen.